0: welcome to the thrive church podcast listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our sunday worship services and select special services lead pastor brian bauer as well as guest speakers will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services, Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the encounterthrive.com. And now, here is our message. Today, uh, it's very advantageous that you are here as we're getting ready for Advent. Advent is something that we expect. It's the arrival of something notable or noteworthy, and nothing more notable or noteworthy than the baby that cut time in half. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we we'll to be talking about uh, the first candle, which was lit, and then uh, Jen just blew out. I don't know why. Um, fire oh, fire safety. Yes, better safe than sorry. The only fire we want in this room right now is Holy Spirit fire. Um, so before I get started, I'd like to pray. Uh, I was fasting from prayer, but now I'm ready to do it again. So, uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this building, for the opportunity to gather together to to worship the name of your Son, uh, to celebrate the season, which uh, is the arrival of your Son, the promised King, the promised Savior. Father, I pray that uh, you'll be with me in the message and that uh, you'll speak through the words that I have prepared. And if there's something I haven't prepared that I need to, just speak through me and just take over, Lord. Uh, we uh, pray for your blessing, your presence. We pray for healing of those that are uh, that are sick at home. And uh, we pray that uh, we'll be uh, united together as a family next week, uh, fully healthy and fully healed. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as many of you know, I do comedy, Uh, I do improv, I do stand-up, and I spent uh, over eight years as a pro wrestler. Uh, So just be glad that I'm in clothes that fit better right now. Um, But I never get nervous. I never got nervous wearing spandex in front of 2,000 people, I never got nervous nervous doing comedy in front of people. I get nervous doing this because I understand what I'm talking about is more important than comedy. Uh, so, because of that, I like to start off with a story. Um, back before man, back before even the world was created, God sat down, Lucifer, who hadn't fallen yet, and Jesus and said, I want you guys to type out a plan for man. Tell me what you think that they should do, what we should do for them. So, they started working furiously and, you know, this, they're not bound by time, but in human time, they were typing for probably about five years. And then suddenly God said, let there be light. And there was a huge power surge in heaven, and both of their computers crashed. But then they finally came back up, Jesus came back up and started typing once again. Lucifer started losing his mind, he's like, that's not fair, that's not fair, my work is all gone, it got deleted in the power surge, God is not fair, why is he able to work? And God just simply looked down at Lucifer and said, Jesus saves. <laughs> All right, so that's out of the way. Um, so we're talking, we're, uh, in the series Miracle, we're talking uh, the advent, the arrival of the baby Jesus. Um, and again, the word ad, advent means the arrival of a notable person or event. And again, nothing in history, no arrival in history not the Beatles coming in the '60s, uh, not not the uh, not the arrival of the first black president in America. Nothing was as important as Jesus, because it literally split time in half. It we went from B.C. before Christ to A.D., which is Anno Domini, which is Latin. And uh, you know now we got politically correct, and we don't say B.C. anymore because we can't say before Christ because not everybody believes. But unfortunately, they're wrong. Um, <laughs> But as we're talking about Advent, the capital A, we're talking about the most notable event. And today, in the next four weeks, we're going to be preparing for the advent of the Messiah, the Savior, uh, the Savior of the world, Jesus. Depending on your translation, uh, the word hope is used around 130 times throughout the Bible. Pretty important. If God says it once, it's important. If he repeats it, it's very important. Uh, So 130 times... And often we uh, confuse or maybe we interchange the words hope and faith. Uh, So I wanted to kind of dive in and kind of separate the two uh, just a little bit. Uh, If you drew a Venn diagram, the circles would be very much overlapping, but there are some differences between hope and faith. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, uh, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Or as we talked before service today, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and men's group, which meets on Tuesday. And the greatest of these is the men's group. So uh, be sure to join men since the women have their own little party. Let's get together, men, on Tuesday. But three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. So the Bible distinguishes, Paul distinguishes that faith and hope do have differences. They should be counted separately even though they have a lot of overlap. Faith is believing something is true and also committing it to belief. In Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, it defines faith as this. Faith is belief, trust, and loyalty to a person or thing, and Christians find their security and hope in God as revealed in Jesus Christ, and say amen to that unique relationship uh, to God and the Holy Spirit through love and obedience as expressed in the lives uh, of discipleship and and service. Biblically, that means that there are two steps to faith. There, there's believing that something is true and then adhering to it. So it, it's very similar to like, I believe my wife loves me, but if I don't act on it, then that's just belief. And even the demons believe in God, but they don't act on that faith. So that's why they don't have faith. So that's kind of the, the biggest difference is there's a two-step process to faith. It's believing and acknowledging that God is real and God is true, but also making that a, a basic tenet of your life and relying on that belief and, and a trust. And then hope springs from that. Uh, faith in Jesus is knowing that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And now living with that as a defining tenet of your life. Faith is outlined in, with the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, verse 4, Abel, uh, Abel excuse me, uh, brought offerings uh, by faith to honor God. Uh, Verse 5, Enoch was taken to heaven because of his faith, and it pleased God. Verse 8, Noah built an ark on faith. Verse 11, Sarah conceived a child at an advanced age on faith. And then we dive into 13 through 16, where it kind of explains a little bit more about that difference of faith and hope. It says that um, all these people died still believing what God had promised them, They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. And they had longed for uh, a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And now hope. Hope is built on that kind of faith. Webster's Dictionary says that hope is both a noun and a verb. It's both something that we put our hope on, and it's also something that we do. And Jesus is both that noun and that verb. We hope on Jesus, and Jesus is our hope. Baker's uh, Dictionary, again, uh, going for that, for the definition of hope, to trust in, wait for, look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in nature. We have faith in God, in his word, and in his son. The hope is what comes from that. We have hope that God's prepared a place for it. Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for us. And by providence, he was a carpenter, so what he's preparing is going to be very nice. It's probably made from wood. It's going to be really great. Uh, so, you know, Hebrews eleven sixteen is talking about God preparing that place. And another way to look at it is this. Pretend you're, you're a kid and your dad or your mom just walked in and said, hey, we're going to Six Flags tomorrow. Now, the idea is you, have, you trust, you have faith that, yes, they'll keep their word. We're going to Six Flags. The hope is the exciting things you're going to do. We're going to ride roller coasters. We're going to eat funnel cakes and, and deep fried Oreos. We're going to throw them up and get back on the roller coasters. It's going to be great. That's our hope. You're excited. It's, it's that rejoicing that that I talked about uh, from Romans 12.12, rejoicing because not only do you believe that it's going to happen, but you have hope that something special is going to happen with it. There's expectation with it. And you look back in the Bible for about 400 years uh, between the end of Malachi's ministry and the recordings of the gospel, there's about a 400-year gap where there wasn't a recorded prophecy or a recorded prophet or a move of God. God, you know, this wasn't the seventh day where God rested. So God was still at work during those 400 years. It just wasn't recorded in the canon of the Bible. And as you think about the Jewish people, you know, they've been through so much. And in those 400 years, they still had faith. They still went to, uh, to, they went to the temple. They still did the, the holy uh, holidays. But you started to think they, they lost a little hope over those 400 years, kind of like in Egypt. You know, it seems like 400 years and the Jewish people in a time of trial is kind of their thing. They, but in that 400 years, that hope started to dwindle. like, yeah, yeah, the Messiah is coming, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it finally happened, when that advent happened, you can kind of understand why some of them didn't believe. They had lost a little bit of that hope. It's like, because even though it wasn't outlined in the Bible, you can assume that there were false prophets and false teachers because Jesus talked about how... You know, don't listen when they say, there's the Messiah over there, or there's the Messiah over here. There were false teachers and false prophets that would come during those 400 years, and they'd get their hopes up and then dash because they were false. But now Jesus comes, and it's like the boy who cried wolf, or the boy who cried Messiah. Um, And it was very hard for them to believe and accept that this was the time. That, you know, it's kind of like uh, for us Cubs fans, 2016, when Chris Bryant picked up that, that grounder, some of us were like, okay, he's going to throw it in the stands. Uh, we, we, we didn't have the hope that they, he was actually going um, to complete that and get that third out in uh, that, what was it, 10th inning, I believe. Uh, so we Cubs fans really have a kinship with the Jewish people. We spent many, many years waiting for the, the promised land. And I am sorry, Alan, I apparently am off the mark, Right? Okay. Uh, but men let's look at it this way how many times have your wives lost hope that you complete that project after the first or second six month period <laughs> how many of us uh, you lose hope after the first game of the season you are know, like oh fields is just overrated no another bad year for the Bears let's get a new coach and how many have lost hope in this sermon because I've used two sports references? <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you very much. But we're talking about an entire nation that had made tons of mistakes. I mean, and this is why I think the Bible proves itself to be true. Because if it was fake, why would the Jewish people be so adamant about recording all of their mistakes? If they were making it up, why not say, hey, we're perfect God's people. God chose us because we're awesome. No, they said, we messed up, we sinned, we made a golden calf, we, uh, we wanted to go back to Egypt, we hated the manna, he gave us the quail, we hated the quail because we wanted a on. it goes on and on. And they recorded it all for us to know that God is not expecting perfection. So the Bible proves itself to be true because it has the flawed nature of all of its heroes. I mean, one of the biggest heroes in the Old Testament, David, he was a cheater, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, but he was still a hero and a, a man after God's own heart. So that just, to me, it proves our Bible to be true. Other religions, they put themselves up as, our people, our heroes are perfect, you should be like them, and if you can't, it's because you stink. We admit, we all stink, and the only way to make us smell better is Jesus. So Jesus is the source of our hope, but what are we hoping for? Are we like the kid that's excited about going to Six Flags? Are we excited like the kids uh, on, on Christmas, waiting to see what's under the wrapping paper? Or are we kind of like, yeah, I believe, but whatever. It'll be cool. So we have faith, but maybe not hope. Why don't we have that hope? God gives us so many promises to have hope. To trust in God, to trust in His plan, to have excitement and, and expectation for what believing in Jesus means. And, uh, just a, a, and these are just a few. It's going to be a long list, but these are just a few of the promises in the 66 books of the Bible. Uh, in Romans 8 35 to 39, nothing can separate us from God's love. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God want you less. There is nothing that you can do to make Jesus' sacrifice for you mean less. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing anybody can do. No one can separate you from God's love. Even when you turn your back on God and walk away, it's right behind you. It's right there. All you have to do is repent, which literally means to turn, to turn back. Repent, and God's love is right there because it's always with you. Nothing can separate it. Jesus will give you rest, Matthew 11, uh, 28, and 29. Uh, these will be up for a few moments if you want to take a picture, or, or Aubrey, if you want to scribble them all down. Uh, but uh, but he, will give you, uh, he will give you rest. Isaiah 40, 31, he will renew your strength. Two parallels that prove again that the Old Testament and the New Testament are One. So many people want to separate the Old Testament and say, that's old news. No, it's all the good news. Everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. The New Testament relies on the Old Testament. You can't separate them because you're separating Christ. And here, these are two examples of the Bible working together. Jesus will give you rest. And Isaiah says, he will renew your strength. Philippians 4.7, God's peace will guard your hearts and minds. There is so much in this world that is trying to attack your peace, that's trying to attack your mind, attack your heart, and, and they use everything visual, they, uh, billboards, pop-up ads, things that happen in your Facebook feed. It's all trying to attack your peace, whether it's the, the bad news of everything going wrong or it's things that want to tempt you into thinking about things that are not of God. You have to rely on God to be that protection around your heart and your mind. And he will do that. The closer you are to God, the easier it is to find protection. Uh, Mark 10, 27, with God, all things are possible, except lying and not sinning. I mean, obviously, there are exceptions. Uh, You can't expect God to deny the rules of physics. He can't make a a round peg fit into a square hole. But with with God, all things are possible, because he is the author and creator of our faith, he is the creator of the universe, and he, he spoke an entire universe into existence, and he made us from mud we 're his Plato, and so nothing is impossible with god matthew uh, six twenty five to thirty two don 't worry, God will provide so often we feel especially men, we feel like we have to provide every answer, every need. And we try to do it on ourselves. We try to put it on our shoulders, but that's not our burden to carry. God will provide. We need only trust in him. A parallel to that is uh, in Psalms where it says, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean if you delight in the Lord, then all of a sudden he's going to give you a Maserati. What means, in my, uh, my interpretation is, when you delight in the Lord, he's going to give you more of himself. And that's better than any material gift that he can give you um god causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him romans 8 28 you think about it you think in uh, the old testament joseph sold by his brothers into slavery but god used it god was able to save a nation because of that betrayal and that evil judas he sold jesus for 30 pieces of silver in the worst trade in history but god used it god redeemed it for those who loved him Judas' betrayal led to the crucifixion, which led to the resurrection, which led to our salvation. So God will use all things for the good of those who love Him. You need only trust in Him. And I, I skipped over uh, Matthew seven, seven to eleven. Uh, it's uh, kind of a parallel to uh, Matthew six, uh, twenty-five to thirty-two. Ask God for what you need. He is a giver of good gifts. There, Jesus is talking about, you know, if you ask for a fish, will you be given a rock? If you ask for this, will you be given a snake? And if anybody asks for a snake, uh, we'll pray for you after the service. Um, snakes are a bad gift, um, but God is the giver of good gifts. And if we as evil humans know how to give good gifts, God knows so much more about what we need. Um, next is uh, John uh, 3, 16 and 17. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to rescue us, to rescue us from ourselves, from the fallen world, from the things around us that try to corrupt us, that try to tempt us away from him. Jesus came to rescue us. First Peter, or I'm sorry, Romans 8, and 34. Jesus died so no one can condemn us. We cannot condemn ourselves, our friends, our family, they cannot condemn us Satan himself cannot condemn us because Jesus bought and paid for us. He may try to make us feel condemnation, but that is a lie from the pit of hell. We have this hope because Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus died, so no one can condemn us. Uh, 1 Peter 3:18 says, Jesus paid for all sin once and for all. This means once you're with Jesus, you are saved. God loves you, you are in the family. You don't have to worry about, like Pastor Brian talks sometimes about your salvation being like a set of keys. Sometimes you lose it and you got to find it again. Your salvation is there. And you don't have to worry like, what if I die in a car accident and I say a dirty word as I get hit? You are still covered. You don't have to worry about that. Now, if you survive, repent and then move on. It's okay. And then John ten twenty eight. no one can snatch us from his hand. That means, uh, and Pastor Brian touched on it, uh, I think, last week. You can walk away. You can walk out of his hand. But you don't have to worry about being in, like, this claw machine where Satan's, you know, working And every 50 cents he grabs somebody else. That's not how it works. Once you're in his hand, no one can snatch you away. You are secure. And that's the hope we have in Jesus. As we enter into Advent and prepare for the arrival of the king, Going to revisit that passage in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 is written 700 years. 700 years before Jesus came. 300 years before Malachi's ministry ended, which is 400 years before the Gospels started being written or uh, started happening. So we have the most amazing technology in the world, yet we can't accurately predict the weather. Yet here is a prophet 700 years in advance telling us about the coming Messiah. So uh, we'll read uh, the first part of uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. In in, in Jewish culture, when they wrote things, they had repetitive lines like this to emphasize the importance. So it's not just being repetitive and like running out of stuff to say. This, This is where Isaiah wants you to focus. He wants you to focus on the fact that people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as like warriors dividing their plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, really interesting there, uh, at Momentum, uh, one of the speakers talked about the title Prince of Peace. And that suggests servanthood, that suggests authority. We can't expect Jesus to be our Prince of Peace if we haven't first made him our prince. We can't expect him just to send it over to us and be like, all right, you're okay, here's some peace. No, we have to come under his authority. We have to respect him as our Lord, as our King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as our Prince of Peace before we can expect him to give us that peace. And I love that message that they shared. So that was just a tangent to show you that momentum spoke to the adults as well. So it was very cool. Uh, so verse seven, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said these words. Isaiah wrote them down, recorded them to prove that God knew what he was doing from the beginning. Isaiah had an an impeccable track record uh, throughout his history, throughout his ministry. 2,000 years later, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and, like, and see what Isaiah said was true, what Daniel said was true, the, what the gospel said are true. All of it is true. We have that benefit. The people of the day, they, they didn't. They didn't know they were first century Jews. They just thought they were Jews. They didn't realize that time had just been split in half. We have that benefit. We can look back and see. And we can see what Jesus has done. We have faith, but do we have that hope, that excited expectation, that excited anticipation of what Jesus really means? what his arrival, his life, his death, his resurrection and his soon second coming, what do they mean? Do we have hope in that? Or is your hope set on the things of the world? Is your hope set on your job? Is it set on your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Uh, is it set on your children? Is it set on your children becoming rich and famous so you could retire early? Is your hope set on, well, if I get this next thing to work out, or if this thing just clears up, or or if this person wins the election, or if that person gets voted out? Is that where your hope is, or is your hope in Christ? Is your hope on things or the Creator of things? Is your hope on the holiday? Or the one who brings the holiday? We can have faith, and James reminds us that faith without works is dead. But the question really is, where is your hope? Are you the kid that believing that dad will take you to Six Flags where you don't care? Because, yeah, whatever happens, happens. Or are you excited about the things to come? Are you, do you have faith that you'll get presents at Christmas? But you're like, uh, it'll probably be socks. Or do you excited, it's going to be socks, and my toes are going to be warm, and they're all going to be in there because there's no holes. That, but, here's a spoiler, every sock has holes. How do you get your foot in? Uh, So getting back. Um, So believing is one thing, faith is another. Does faith fuel your hope? Is your hope in Jesus? And we don't have to wait until all five candles are lit. We don't have to wait till Christmas. We don't have to wait till a special occasion. Now's the time. If you're in a place where you're like, yeah, my hope was really on November 8th, but that went downhill, or my, my hope was in, uh, in that job promotion, but that didn't happen, or my hope was in uh, you know, our marriage working out, but it's not working out. If your hope is in anywhere but Jesus, now's the time to rekindle that hope, rediscover it, or maybe find it for the first time. You could have faith, but you need to be, be excited about it. Jesus came for you. There's nobody in this room that Jesus thought, nah, I'm not bringing, it. I'm not bringing Cassidy, no. I'm not bringing Robert. Uh, I'm not bringing Avery, no. No, he came for every one of us. And he would have come if no one else but you decided to come. He came for the one leaving the ninety-nine. When you repent and turn to God, when you restore, rekindle, or discover for the first time that hope in Christ, heaven celebrates. So if you're in a place where you need to let heaven have a celebration, today's a day. Not tomorrow, not Christmas, not New Year, New Me. Let New Me start today. So you can do a business in your seats, you can do business here at the altar. But don't leave this building. There's, anything that's happening out there can wait. God will redeem the time. And if God doesn't redeem the time, it's because it wasn't that important in the first place. But what's most important is that you leave here today and every Sunday refreshed, recharged, and ready to experience and enjoy the hope and the celebration that is Jesus Christ. Don't let another day pass, especially men. I think it's like 73% of families become saved, find Christ, because the man of the house did first. Don't leave your families unprotected by not finding that hope and that joy and that salvation. Protect your families. That's the ultimate insurance, because you are the head. You lead. So I encourage you, find that time. Make that time, because there's nothing more important than to find that hope and that fire and that that expectation. So we have cookies coming up. We have the worship team coming up here in just a moment. But do business with God first. We can tear down around you. If you need to stay here for three hours, I know Pastor Brian's not here, but I'll approve the charge for extra rent. If you need to do business with the Lord, do it. Don't waste this opportunity. Find your hope. Find your joy. It it can't wait another moment.